So you meet a woman online. I love her. I just love her. But it turns out thousands of other people are in love with her too. Janessa Brasil. Janessa Brazil. Janessa Brazil. One woman's image is being used by criminals to target innocent people looking for love online. You win their hearts, you win their wallets. Love, Janessa. My wild quest to find her. The unwitting human face of a digital con from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. This is a CBC podcast. Only a short time ago, Amelia Earhart checked over every detail of her $80,000 flying laboratory in preparation for her round-the-world flight. This was to have been her greatest achievement, a sky dash of 28,000 miles. Just listen to those horns. I mean, you know it's a big deal. There was global excitement when Amelia Earhart took to the skies in 1937. Then to a waiting world came news of disaster as the plane failed to reach tiny Howland Island in mid-Pacific. A British freighter, the Coast Guard, and the Navy sped to the search. The battleship Colorado steaming out from Honolulu under forced draft. They searched for 16 days, but they could find no trace of Amelia Earhart or her plane. In the eight decades since, people have theorized and speculated about what could have happened. Numerous expeditions to the Pacific Ocean have searched for evidence. Well, now the exploration company Deep Sea Vision says it has a sonar image of what appears to be an airplane on the Pacific seabed. And the CEO of that company, Tony Romeo, believes there is a good argument that plane could be Earhart's. The uh, twin vertical stabilizers in the back are very clear on the sonar image, and those were very distinctive of Amelia Earhart's aircraft, and we were very happy to see those. The second thing is the aircraft, the target that we got the sonar image of, was on a very flat, sandy surface. So to see anything protruding up or sitting on the seafloor would have been very unusual. And then thirdly, the size of the target was actually fit very closely to what we'd expect from her aircraft. Dorothy Cochran is a curator in the aeronautics department of the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum. Dorothy, good morning. Good morning. I'm looking at this sonar image right now. And I mean, if you squint, maybe it sort of looks like a plane, maybe. Um, What do you think? Do you think that this is, how convincing is this image uh, that you've seen? Well, it's certainly an intriguing image, you know, very compelling. Um, you know, it's it's got assets to it that that people can say that looks kind of like an airplane or a certain type of airplane. Um, but, you know, we really don't know at this point in time because this is a sonar image. And so it just doesn't quite give us enough detail to um, to go ahead and say, you know, this is Amelia's plane or it's something else. Um, so in general, it's very intriguing, um, and I think it certainly warrants some further uh, research. Sort of looks like it has wings, but it's hard to tell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> tell me more about the location where it was taken. I mean, is, is this in the location where people believe Amelia Earhart may have, have landed? Yeah, that's the good news is that this search and there have been uh, a few others prior is in the vicinity of Howland Island. And that's important um, because we know that she was flying into Howland Island, that the U.S. Coast Guard was awaiting her there so they could refuel her. And then she would be off to Hawaii and hopefully back to the United States. So and. Uh, We know that she was close because she was sending voice radio 
uh, communication and her radio signals were very strong coming in to the USS Atasca that was awaiting her or the US Coast Guard Atasca. So we know she was in the vicinity of, of Howland Island. So it, you know, if so that's where you need to search and that's they are in the vicinity. They're within a range that would be acceptable. And you think this is more probable because there have been other examples where researchers, where explorers think that they might have found something or think that they might be in the right area. Do you believe that this is perhaps more plausible than those other examples? Yes, yes, because it is uh, within a reasonable range of Howland Island. Um, and that's, you know, that's where we, we have to understand that she knew what she was doing. She had a flight plan. The Coast Guard was awaiting her. She was coming in. Um, and, you know, we have to follow the facts, which are laid out very clearly um, in Coast Guard records, uh, Lockheed Elector records, you know, flight plan records when she left Lane and, and people, uh, people hearing her along the way. So we know that she was en route and that she was desperately trying to find this tiny island um, and in the last moments of uh, the fuel that, uh, you know, she still had. What is the theory that you believe about how and why her plane went down? And I say that you believe because there are a lot of other theories that we can get to in a moment, but the one that you, that you are most comfortable with. Well, in the end, it's fuel exhaustion. Uh, she ran out of fuel. Um, she and her navigator, Fred Noonan, did their best and got within the vicinity of Howland Island. Um, and that's based on the strength of her radio calls um, and the fact that they knew that they should be on the island and they should be able to find it. Um, the trick is in those last, you know, few in the last half hour, you know, she said, I have a half an hour of fuel left and we're searching for you. So, you know, there's no doubt that she's there and they're desperate to find this tiny island. Um, and for, you know, there's a variety of reasons how you can miss this small little island um, as you're coming into it in the morning sun after a 20 hour flight. Um, so it, it makes sense. I, I definitely believe that they were close by. And so did the Coast Guard. Of course, that is not the only theory of what may or may not have happened. Um, there are people who say that, that perhaps she was captured by Japan. They do, but there's no evidence of that. <laughs> You're <laughs> not buying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, there's uh, the, the other just, theory is, that, is the that, that the other theory is that she never died at all. That 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 she landed, she took another identity. What was the identity? Irene Bola. That she became somebody else and and lived on as, as somebody else. Yeah, that was pretty special. Um, I, you know, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I don't deal with those theories anymore. Um, just because they they're not practical and they're not based on any fact whatsoever. Mm. Well, why do you think? And I, I mean, I can hear that you you don't have any time for them. But why do you think? People have written books about them. People continue to speculate about this. You go to Wikipedia and there is her birth date, but there's no death date. Why is it that people are still intrigued by this, do you think? Well, you have to understand who she was at the time frame. She was one of the world's most popular women at the time. She was a woman who was doing, you know, work, uh, trying to make a living in a man's world. And to do that, she had to do uh, different types of flights in order to then be able to earn money through lecturing or writing books. You know, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for uh, women pilots at that time. So she's pioneering through there because this is what she wants to do with her life is be a pilot. 
pilot and she's making her own career, making her own way. And so people are following her. She was um, good with the press. Um, So, you know, when, and she was very popular lecturer. So when she's off on this round the world flight, the world is following her. She's landing in all these different countries to crowds and accolades. And then everyone realizes, well, she's going to take this long overwater flight and they're eager to learn that she's made it safely. And then all of a sudden you don't hear from her anymore. And she and Noonan have disappeared. Um, so it's one of the great mysteries of the 20th century. Um, and now into the 21st century. What does she mean to you personally? Because in addition to being a curator at the just remarkable uh, aeronautics, uh, Smithsonian Air and Space Museum, you're also a pilot yourself, right? Yeah, and that's, you know, that's part of it is being uh, a woman pilot. You know, we've got so much more opportunity now. Uh, Women, you know, only in the 1970s were they allowed into military aviation and commercial aviation to be pilots. So that's a long time from even when Amelia was trying to do that. So it means a lot to women pilots now. And they, you know, they they feel that, you know, we feel that we stand on her shoulders and uh, that, you know, she really paved the way and continues to because of her grace and personality and perseverance um, that she still appeals and, uh, you know, and everyone, of course, you know, still naturally wants to know what Mm. happened to her. That's a natural thing. Do you think that she's gotten her due? Um, or has that been just you know distracted or diminished at all by not the the conspiracy theories, but just the mystery of of what happened to her? Well, you know, there's no doubt that the mystery helps to keep her name in the limelight. So you know it's a it's a mixed bag. Um, it's you know, but inevitably, when they talk about, her still being lost. They talk about, you know, here she was on this world flight and always um, supporting women pilots and supporting aviation in general. So, uh, you know, I think if we can just solve this, then we can add that to the mix and just, you know, then report and, and reflect on her full career. So we have this blobby image on the sonar. What has to happen now, do you think? I think that deep sea vision uh, should go back and, and do further research and inspection and definitely get uh, photography, um, which will then help identify what exactly that object is. And, uh, you know, so I, I think that that's, you know, you have to go back and, and just identify this object and say, well, it is or it isn't. You know, will, we, will they find registration numbers on the wings still? You know, the paint's probably long gone, so I don't know. But, you know, there, if we get good photography, uh, you know, that goes a long way to identifying it. If it is the plane. I mean, one of the things about the Smithsonian uh, Air and Space Museum is you go and you see artifacts from the past. You could walk through and see some of those vehicles. Is that the kind of thing that you would want to see hanging in the museum or do you leave it there? If that's, if it's actually the plane, do you leave it where it, where it crashed? Well, that's a very good question. And <clears throat> some of that depends on the integrity of the, of the craft itself, whether it's in, you know, how many pieces or if, if it's, uh, you know, still intact. Um, you know, at, at the museum, we already have Earhart's Lockheed Vega in which she became the first woman to fly nonstop and solo across the Atlantic mm-hmm. Ocean. So we would be interested in continuing to tell her story. And uh, so we'll just have to see, you know, is this it or, you know, and then, you know, what's available, what's in the future for it. And, uh, you know, but we're certainly very interested. 
I'm really glad to talk to you about this. It is an amazing story, uh, and she was a remarkable woman. And people are still captivated, to your point, by that for a bunch of different reasons. Dorothy, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Dorothy Cochran is a curator in the aeronautics department of the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.